The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, this is just a friendly reminder to make sure that you are registered to vote for the upcoming elections this November. Please text the word voter to 26797 to check your registration. You will also receive reminders for all local, state, and federal elections and your polling locations. And don't forget to follow I Am a Voter for more civic engagement opportunities. That's voter to 26797. Hi, this is Deborah Messing. I'm an actress and social justice advocate. I am Mandana Dayani, creator and co-founder of the nonpartisan movement, I Am a Voter. So Mandana and I are best friends, and we're constantly sending each other inspiring stories of people around the world who are doing incredible things. And then one day we realized something. Most of them had no intention of becoming heroes. They just knew they had to do something and did it. So after months and months of research into these accidental activists, we created our list of the 20 dissenters who blew us away. Based on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's iconic I dissent slogan, a dissenter is someone who stood up to an injustice or challenged the status quo, someone who fought to build a better way. This week, we speak with the incredible Eva Longoria. In addition to her wildly successful career as an actor, she is preparing to direct two major feature films and runs her own production company, Unbelievable Entertainment. She has a master's degree in Chicano studies and political science and is one of the most vocal advocates for Latinos around the world. She's the founder of the Eva Longoria Foundation to promote entrepreneurship and education among Latinas and the co-founder of the Latino Victory Project, which is trying to build a pipeline of Hispanic candidates in elections at all levels. Eva has been campaigning for Democratic presidential contenders since 2004, is the co-founder of Time's Up, and one of the most powerful, inspiring, and innovative women we know. And now, it is our greatest honor to introduce you to the amazing dissenter, Eva Longoria, the Latina visionary. We're ready? We are ready. Woo! Eva Longoria. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. I am so happy to be here. I'm so happy to see you. I know. I know. It's been a little while. It's been a minute. I have to tell you, you've ruined my son because <laughs> my song that I sing to my son is You Are My Sunshine. And I sing, I'm not a singer. And Deborah comes over and belts out, you are my sunshine in the most beautiful voice. And my son just stares at Deborah. And now I try to sing it and he just puts his hand on my mouth. He's like, no, no. <laughs> no, no. Please don't sing that song. Where's the redhead? He's so beautiful. You did that to Andy too. My yeah. older daughter. I yeah, do. I do. Yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baby whisperer. You are. Of course, we were doing our research and we were like, holy fuck, Eva is such a badass. It just kept <laughs> going. It I know, kept going. I, I was like, okay, I it, knew that she had a foundation. No. I didn't know she had seven. <laughs> I didn't, I mean, so we obviously have a lot to talk about. We do. Yes. yes. There's so much to talk about. You were such a hero and you've broken Ugh. so many barriers. Um, and there is such clarity and vision and strategy behind what you're doing that's so fascinating. Um, so we wanted to hear what you're oh doing gosh. and how. And you're very generous. So can we maybe just start with your childhood? Like how <laughs> how did you grow up? Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi, Texas. I'm a Texan. I've been wearing makeup since I was like three. <laughs> <laughs> Big hair. 
No, you know, I actually, people always ask me where my philanthropy and activism comes from, and it, and it comes from my family. I had a very philanthropic upbringing. Um, I have an older sister with special needs. Um, she was born with a mental disability. So I was born into her world. Like, I don't know any other way to be other than being with 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 other, you know, mm-hmm. like my sister was a was an other. Mm-hmm. Um, and my earliest memories are of Special Olympics. I remember crawling in the grass at Special Olympics. Like my mom wow. would take the whole family. And she was like, you guys are all volunteering while Lisa, my older sister, uh, participated. And so I remember my first job um, was a hugger at Special Olympics. And I was like five. And that oh was my gosh. our job was to hug the participants at the end of races. I want to be a hugger. Yeah. The best job at Special Olympics is a hugger. And I just remember like, you know, my sister wanted to be in a karate class at, at the Boys and Girls Club and they wouldn't allow people with disabilities. So my mom said, well, my three daughters will volunteer and take care of her. So we would have to volunteer. Wow. So my sister could participate in the little class. Well, it also sounds like your mother was a model for someone who just didn't accept no for an answer. Mm -hmm. She like figured something out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's her motto. That's my biggest. People go, what's the biggest lesson you learned from your mom? And I said, resourcefulness, like Mm -hmm. figure it out. I remember that's why I learned how to cook. I was like six and I said, mom, I'm hungry. And she goes, well, you better figure that out. (laughs) You know, like she's, she she wasn't the Betty Crocker, like, let me make you a sandwich, honey. Like she, and I remember pushing a chair up to the stove and it was a stove where you had to turn on the gas and light a match. Like I was six. Oh, so wow. I'm like, I'm like, turn on the gas. Let me go find a match. Like, <laughs> like it was, and I remember cracking an egg into a pan and oh. shells and everything and being so excited about the accomplishment. I was like, I made an egg. And, um, and then like, that's, I'm a really big cook, but it was my mom. And I remember like wanting to be a cheerleader. And she's like, you know, that's expensive. You better figure that out. And, um, and, and going, I was like, I want to go to college. And she's like, well, you know, we can't afford that. You better figure that out. And and it was just that wow lesson. You nailed it right on the head. My mom was like, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure out life. Nobody's That's what I always hand. say that I, the number one quality I look for when I hire people mm. is just their common sense and their ability to just figure shit out. Because that's the only way I survived. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we had no idea what we were doing. We had no money. And, and, and that's, yeah. And that was just life. Like was you want to go to college? Like I applied for the Vietnamese scholarship. I applied for every scholarship <laughs> that was available <laughs> in the United States yeah. and bullshitted my way into making them believe yeah. that I deserve it. Because you mm-hmm. just, that's what you got to do. Yeah. Well, and right. And especially in this day and age, there is so much information available. Right. And resources and websites and people. I want to talk about kinesiology. <laughs> doesn't want to talk about kinesiology. I mean, come on. I'm always interested um, when I talk to artists and it's like, well, did you always, from the time you were three, were you dancing through your living room and doing plays in your backyard? Yeah. And then to see that you went to college and you got a degree in kinesiology, that that clearly is not social justice or corporate justice. It was, you know, so what was the plan? Yeah. Oh gosh. I took a left turn. I did not grow up wanting to be an actor. I did not grow up being an extrovert. I was actually the ugly duckling of my family. All my sisters are blonde and hazel eyes. And I came out dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes. I remember that my mom said my dad came to the hospital and I was the only baby born in this moment. And and my dad's like, so where's my child? And they were like, that one right there. That's your dad. 
that's your baby. And he was like, what? I had this full oh, head of black hair. Oh my gosh. Um, look like people would walk up to my mom and say, your daughters are beautiful. And who's this? And I'd be like, hello, hello. So I think I leaned into being the clown mm -hmm. because I wasn't identified as beautiful right. by standards of my community, of my family. So I'll be smart. Right. Or I'm going to be funny. Right. Um, but that was the only like inkling of any kind of performance. But I know I wasn't in drama. I wasn't, I was in college. I wanted to be a physical therapist. I wanted to work for the Dallas Cowboys. And that was like my dream was to tape ankles, tape sprained ankles. <laughs> like, I was obsessed with the the body and, and exercise physiology. And that's why I went into kinesiology. And my senior year of high school, I had Pell Grants and that year they stopped Pell Grants. And so I had no money oh, for my senior year. And I was like, I'm about to graduate and I couldn't figure out. And so a friend of mine said, you should enter the scholarship pageant. And I said, what's that? And she's like, it's, it's like a beauty pageant, but you, you can't, you gotta be smart, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, great, I'll do that. And my goal was to get fifth place because that was like books and tuition. And I ended up winning. Oh my God. The whole thing. Nobody believed me because I didn't invite my family. I, I remember telling my mom, 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 I need to dress for this pageant. She's like, oh, honey, <laughs> do you think that's a good idea? Because she's like, you're not going to win. Like, why put oh yourself my God. through you that disappointment? And I was like, There was like, no right. one there to Nobody cheer you on. No, no. And I didn't think I was going to win either. I was... I just showed amazing. up and was like, how do you stand? What are you guys doing? Wow. Okay. Shoulders back. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I won and that's how I got to pay my senior. But in that prize package was a trip to Los Angeles for this acting workshop thing. And I said, oh, okay. I'll, uh, that'll be fun after I graduate. Go to, I've never, never really been out of Texas except to Mexico. And then came here and like was just fell in love. Mm. Something guided me. Something said, this This is what you should do. Never acted before. Took some acting workshops. Had some managers want to sign me. Had an agent who wanted to sign me. And it was during like the um, Live in La Vida Loca, J-Lo, Ricky Martin explosion. So they were like, oh my God, you're Latin. You're going to do amazing yeah. here in Hollywood. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. Didn't, didn't have an accent. Mm -hmm. So... I wasn't Latin enough. So when I arrived here, they were like, great, could you do it with an accent? Or could you, yeah, do it a little more wow. Latin. And I was like, I I don't know what that means. And, and then I didn't speak Spanish. So I couldn't get the Spanish roles either. Right. Were, I would like try to read. And they're like, oh, you don't, you don't speak Spanish, do you? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't. So I wasn't Latin enough. And then I wasn't white enough. And it was like, it was, uh, it was tough. <laughs> it was interesting. I was reading about what you were saying about colorism. Yeah. And that the lighter skin you are, the yeah. it, the better you are. Mm -hmm. is, You've bettered the race. Yes. <laughs> um, and what I so they say. think is so fascinating is that you were the darkest in your family. Mm -hmm. And when you went to school, you were on a bus with all oh, white yeah. people. Yeah. But then you come to Los Angeles mm -hmm. and you're not dark enough. Yes. So did you ever have this mm -hmm. feeling of, what is my identity? And, oh, yeah. And did any of that inform your desire to help with representation? One thousand percent. Yeah. It all led me to my political activism. That's what really made me turn the corner because I was a Mexican-American and I just straddled that hyphen. I kind of mm -hmm. sit right in the middle because I'm people go, oh, you're half and half. And I was like, 
no, I'm 100% Mexican and 100% American at the same time. And it's funny because when you're here in the United States, they say, oh, you're Mexican. And then when I go to Mexico, they're like, oh, you're American. Because wow. you're, so you don't belong in either Anywhere. culture. Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, Latinos have um, difficulty navigating identity in this country mm-hmm. um, because we want to be assimilated and be fully accepted, but we want to hold on to our language, our, our religion, our traditions, mm-hmm. our music, our food. Um, and sometimes people say, no, you can't. Either you're this or you're that. But like, why? what is this? Why do people have to choose? We always find with people that, that do this work that there's kind of this pivotal moment where you just realize that I have to do more. And this, mm. this is a thing. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like, based on our research, um, when you read that book, Occupied America, yes. that was really like your awakening to, mm-hmm. I clearly understand the issue. I need to learn more. Yeah. Um, can you maybe talk about that? Yeah. I was really lucky to have an amazing mentor of Dolores Huerta. And I met her maybe the first couple months I landed in LA by chance, by being at something about farm workers. And I said, what's happening with farm work? Like, I just didn't really know anything. I mean, she's one of our last living civil rights icons. I mean, yeah. she's, and she's still getting arrested. I know. <laughs> she's like 83. I, I met mean, her when I went, right when the child separation family happened. And yeah. I went to Texas, just to the border. And she spoke with Boto with Latino. And she was... Yeah. I was blown away mm-hmm. by her. So somebody introduced me to this book. They're like, you know, you should read is Occupied America by Rodol- Dr. Rodolfo Cunha. And I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this like blew my mind because it was history from, from the minority's perspective. Um, mm. And everything from pre-Columbian civilization and Aztecs and Toltecs to NAFTA to modern day. Like it was a really comprehensive book and it was overwhelming. And I said, wow. And I wrote the author and I said, I'd love to sit and meet with you. And and he was here at Cal State Northridge. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's here. He's like down the street. And he said, love to sit with you and met with him. And he said, you should take my class, which was Chicano 101. And, and Chicano really is Mexican-American history. Yeah. And I said, oh, I, I was on Desperate Housewives. I was like, I can't take a class. And he said, it's online. Take a class. And it was, it changed my life. And that's how I decided to get my master's was this one class led me to like one other class. Once I once I did, <laughs> took that class, I said, oh, my God, I want to know about Chicana feminism. That was a class. And I said, oh, that seems fascinating. And I took that mm-hmm. class and then I took another class. And then the, the college was like, you know, you can't keep just taking class. You have to enroll. <laughs> and I and I don't know what possessed me to do it at the height of my career. And I said, okay. And I was going to night school. I was shooting on Desperate Housewives and I drive at night to night school on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. And and it was all consuming. And it was awesome. That's the curiosity. Like I'm yes. I'm a sp- I'm so curious and I love people. And I'm like, tell me more. I remember I went to a White House uh, correspondence dinner one time and the person next to me was head of security for New York's subway or whatever. Like it was the most random uh-huh. specific job. And I... You couldn't pull me away from talking to this <laughs> guy. Like, you know, everybody's there. Everybody, Obama's there and Hillary. Everybody was there. And I was like, tell me more. But like, And he, he scared me from ever riding the subway on New York, first of all. But just, he was like anti-terrorism. I, like he, it was amazing. And I just, like, I love learning things that I don't know. But this one was personal because I said, I should know this. Mm. I need to know this. And I had such a hunger to learn at that moment. Um, but let me tell you, if you want something done, ask a busy woman to do it. Yeah. 
Because then you know it's going to get done. Right, like, 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, when Deb and I started this podcast, we were like, we don't know if anyone's going to listen, but we just want to talk to these people. <laughs> we we're want so... an excuse to yes. talk to people who mm-hmm. inspire us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're like, mm-hmm. worst great... case, it's just awesome for us. It's also a good way to get to know somebody deeply. Yes. Because, you know, small when you see each other, it's like, small. how are you, beautiful drama? Yeah, yeah. But like, when you... <laughs> Like, let's dive deep. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. Now great. we're going to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. I, this amazing. is the best way to, to, to get to know people. Mm-hmm. Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> who, who knew? <laughs> Do you feel, mm-hmm. because a book was the thing that really sort of launched your, you on a whole other path. Do you think that the Latinx community don't have access to the books that they need, do you feel like it's a economic barrier for education? Or do you feel like it's just um, having to have that voice inside of you who's mm-hmm. like, I will seek out the information? Yeah, I think there's a lot of barriers to Latinos in education. You mm-hmm. know, in our community, we don't call it a dropout rate. We call it a pushout rate. You know, they're oh, actually, wow. the higher you get into um, schooling, you know, there's just a certain group that's not paid attention to. And whether that's uh, socioeconomic status, whether that's environmental racism, you know, you're from that side of right, town. Right. Latinos are just as ambitious and driven as any anybody else. Mm-hmm. And definitely access to that quality education, access to quality teachers, quality mentors is Um, a challenge. There's also systemic barriers. There's systemic racism happening in these schools. Um, If you look in Arizona, when SB 1070 passed, that took out cultural studies from schools, took out Chicano studies, took out women's studies, took out anything that wasn't part of quote unquote American history. And even when the statistics showed when Mexican-American students took this class, they actually improved in other subjects because they were finally engaged and there was a class that spoke to them and their culture and us and our culture. And once they got engaged in one class, that did trickle over to math and science. And then all of a sudden they're an engaged student. Um, But Mm. when when they feel history doesn't speak to them, that's not my history, that's not Mm -hmm. my version of it, then it becomes a problem. And you know, and I know in Texas, there's been erasures of Cesar Chavez's history. There's been erasure of taking it out of textbooks. And um, if you follow the the rabbit trail of um, of textbooks and who makes them mm-hmm. and what's in them, you know, taking out evolution. Let's take out <laughs> like what? I, no, how what? is this possible? How is I it possible? Don't. There's only like three bookmakers in in the country, and they're in conservative places. And, and you're like, how is that? How is this happening today? So there's a lot of systemic barriers happening in within our culture of Latinos being able to get ahead in, in higher education and being in that academic pot of just curiosity and feeding it. Like, mm-hmm. let's feed them mm-hmm. what they want. Let's let's really feed their minds with with this amazing history and rich history. We are part of the thread that makes up America. And so we should be included in that history. You have now been directing for 10 years and producing and, you know, making documentaries. And now you're coming on. You've just made history. You're going to you're the first Latina to do two 
huge studio movies back to back. I mean, what you have accomplished in such a short time. Hopefully is I will be. <laughs> staggering. <laughs> if they both go in the same year. Yes. But I'm excited just to, you know, tell the stories that I'm going to be telling with the two movies. And, yes. Um, that's really exciting. And being a Latina and a director and getting behind the camera and being that storyteller is yeah. important. Mm-hmm. That's important. For anybody, anybody to see a Latina and a woman, mm. you know, just coming in and being like, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And um, I love the story that you you told about your friend telling you, why are you pitching this? Like you're like you're asking for permission. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. I, when I went in to pitch, because um, I'm directing, uh, it's called Flaming Hot, which is about the Flaming Hot Cheeto. And it's about the man who created the Flaming Hot Cheeto, which is the number one snack in the world. Have you had Flaming Hot Cheeto? I named my dog Cheeto. Yeah. <laughs> Cheeto who is, it's not even, that's how much I love Cheetos. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I'm familiar with the product. It's the most amazing thing ever invented. <laughs> I have Flaming Hot Cheetos socks, sweatshirts. I mean, yes. It's been the joke my whole life that everyone it's, gives me Flaming Hot Cheeto branded things for my birthday. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's um, but the fact that this huge thing, this thing has become this huge pop culture phenomenon and a Mexican janitor of the factory at Lay's invented it. When he took this job and he couldn't even read or write, he couldn't even fill out the application. And oh he was just super, not ambitious. He was driven and saw that these snacks, there's nothing that speaks to the Latino market. And he came up with this amazing idea. And then also he was a genius marketer, um, his name Richard Montanez. And this story just brought me to tears because his journey and everything. So those stories need to be told. Like, I didn't know that yeah, Flaming Hot Cheeto was invented either. by a Mexican. And I was like, oh my God, I need to know this. I should have known this. I'm Mexican. And so it's such a feel-good movie. It's It's very much in the vein of pursuit of happiness. Like you just, you go, wow. He overcame all of that and now is a successful, wonderful human being, wonderful family, um, gives back. He's just really fascinating. But you were up against 300 directors. Everybody wanted to direct this story. And I was really happy that Searchlight was committed to having a Latino director because they were like, we need somebody from the community that knows this community. I did my pitch, created my pitch, and I was pitching it to a friend of mine, Brian Tannen, who's an amazing showrunner. And I was saying this and that, and he goes, all right, I got to stop you. And I was like, okay, yeah. And he goes, I want you to put your white male privilege pants on (laughs) and assume you have this job. Brilliant. Like, don't, you're posing every statement as a question or like as, well, if you want me to do this, I could do this, but I could do this, but I could, he's like, make a decision and say, you're doing this, you're casting him, you're shooting it this way. You're hiring that person. This is your job. Because that's what white men do when they go in. They assume they have the job. Like, this is my job, right? Like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to shoot it. And it really like changed my view of life. Like I was like, oh my God, it was such an aha moment to go, yeah, why am I approaching it this way? Because I wanted to be um, amenable and um, yes, quite cooperative and collaborative. I'm collaborative. I'm collaborative. That's right. And I'm going right. to be easy to work with. I'm going to be totally fun. I'm not a bitch. I'm not bitchy. I'm right. not bossy. I'm not. And I am. I am bossy and I am bitchy. <laughs> like own it and go yes, into that yeah. room and act like it is your job. And I, it, it was really the best advice ever because they were like, wow, you have such a clear vision for this movie. And, uh, and then I got it. So it was great. What an incredible Lesson. Lesson. I know. 
because just hearing that story, I thought, you know, I'm I'm pretty, I feel like I'm a confident woman and I and I know mm-hmm. I'm capable and I know that I'm viable. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like when I walk into a room, I I own it. Ex- and, own it and exude mm-hmm. that. And then it's and like, then you hear yourself. No, yeah. Women Apologize. don't even realize Mm-mm. that we do this. Mm-hmm. And it's just from decades and decades of you know, entrenched. Yeah. Oppression. Yes. <laughs> so today when you go into those rooms, yes, you own it. I own it. And you're like, this is the show and this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So we're shooting in uh, July. <laughs> yeah. Just lay it out for them. <laughs> That's what you say. <laughs> um, I really started becoming aware of what I call the Latinx opportunity when I started working on I'm a Voter. And I don't think I really understood how powerful this community is and and its opportunity to change America and everything that we're doing, Mm -hmm. everything that we care about, all the issues that we care about. And when you look at the numbers, how many people, you know, 800,000 Latinas turn 18 every year. There's 28 million Latinas. One every 30 seconds. That's amazing. And and, and in really key battleground states, Mm -hmm. um, it feels like your life mission has become pushing this Latina community forward, inspiring them, motivating them, Mm -hmm. giving them the tools they need to succeed. Mm -hmm. I I mean, there's a hundred follow-up questions, but I think the Mm -hmm. first one was, you know, did you start with that goal and like, what made you think that you could do this? What happened was, like I said, I've always been engaged and and philanthropic minded. I always Mm -hmm. was giving back and every Thanksgiving we go to the soup kitchen and, but it wasn't until Housewives exploded that I was getting requests. When I say a hundred a week, I'm not kidding. You, I'm sure you get a hundred a week where it's like, save the dolphins in Japan. And you're like, oh my God, yes. And yes, you know, right. climate, climate change. Oh my God. Oh my Yes, yes, yes. And um, AIDS in Africa. Yes. Oh my gosh, we got to do something about AIDS. And, and then sex trafficking in Thailand. Oh my God, we got to save the children. And it was like, mm-hmm. everything was important, but I couldn't do everything. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I was really making a dent in anything because like, mm-hmm. I was like doing everything. I was like, I'll help you there. I'll help. I'll go here. And so that's when I decided to get laser focused. And how do I want to create sustainable and effective change? Like, how, Even if it's one family, if it's one Latino family. And I chose Latino because that's the community I'm from. And I chose yeah, women course. because if you help a woman, she helps her family. If you help mm-hmm. a family, you change communities. communities if you yep. change communities, you change nations. Like, I was like, I'm going to help women for sure. And it's definitely going to be Latinos. And then I thought, how? Right? Like, like mm-hmm. there's so many interventions into poverty and infrastructure of opportunity. And so how do how am I going to do it? And I chose education and entrepreneurship through my thesis. When I did my master's, I, I wrote a thesis and researched it and said, oh, okay, this is, there's a, a white space here. And then also I commissioned a study from UCLA to say, we know the barriers. Like, I don't want to, I know the barriers. We know the barriers women face. We know the barriers Latinos face. What are the successful Latinos doing and how do we replicate that? Mm. Like why, you know, what what did they have in their lives? And the number one thing that came back was parental engagement in yeah. a, in their educational journey. They had one parent, whether it's a mom or dad or both, that said school is important mm. and said the word university or college in the household. Too many times Latino seniors have never heard the word university or college. And they go, oh, what's, well, oh, should we? And you're like, you're a senior. It's too late. Like you haven't prepared. You haven't done anything yet. And so just hearing the word, having a parent 
be an advocate for them mm-hmm. through their educational journey, whether it was like, my, my son should be in a better math class or you should join the, the math club, honey, or whatever. So parental engagement was number one. Number two was after school activities. Anything that kept them at the school longer. And it didn't have to be academic. It could have right. been banned. Mm-hmm. It could be cheerleading. Just it kept them at school longer. So they had more of a community and engagement with schools. And so those are the two things that my foundation focused on was parental engagement programs and after school programs. And it's really made an insane difference in a lot of families' lives. So that's why I focused on the Latino community. As far as like political things, policy bumps up against all of that. Mm -hmm. Of course. Mm -hmm. My foundation and all private foundations should only catch the people who fall through the cracks. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you missed one, guys. Society, you missed one. Let me help this one. Mm -hmm. There's too many people falling through the cracks that now private foundations are taking the brunt of the work that are our government and schools and schooling and the institutions should be doing. You mm-hmm. guys should be doing this work. And so that's where policy comes into play. And that's when I was like, wait, what, who who has a seat at the table Yes, in our government? Why doesn't well, our government like, look like us mm-hmm. as women, as minorities? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Sorry, well, it what, just seems like now so much of your work also includes trying to find people of color and women to run for office, mm-hmm. trying to inspire the Latina community to vote. Mm-hmm. Um which obviously are critical. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we were talking about this earlier. I'm Persian and culturally we're not raised to be political mm-hmm. or to engage in policy. And that I think is a barrier, at least for my community. Or even to vote. Yeah. It's not something that we've, no mm-hmm. one in my family ever talked about vote. It's just not. Yeah. Do you think that is a barrier? Culture? Yeah. Um, I actually think Latino millennials are super engaged. I mean, they are like aware. They are woke. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are woke. They I know think their power. They, yeah, they do. But are we using it not to its fullest potential? I mean, I was just talking to some political people and, and I was like, God, there's no, none of the political candidates so far in the Democratic primaries have spoken to the Latino community. And a lot of them feel like eh, they're not really engaged. You know, mm-hmm. they're not voting. Why spend money if they're not going to vote? And that is disappointing because it's true in a lot of states. You know, the the eligibility of people is this much and then the people who actually voted are this much. It's yeah. like... But those are opportunity votes. I mean, yeah. I just read something you yeah. said about like how we could recreate content and messaging mm-hmm. so that it resonates with them, which made so much sense mm-hmm. to me. I would have never thought about it the way you articulated it, but yeah. I, I don't know how they're not figuring this out. I know. I don't, I don't understand it either. It's the same thing with women's vote. I mean, people politicians treat women like a special interest group mm-hmm. like oh no 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 we're half half the population <laughs> more than the majority mm-hmm. of voters and so eligible voters and when you look at the statistics it's like oh, we're not showing up either no so how do we engage people and my life's philosophy is not to not to speak up for women i'm not speaking for women i'm not speaking for latinos mm-hmm. i'm telling you speak for yourselves Stand up and speak for yourself. Like the best way to do that is to vote. Because the only time we are equal with the richest 1% Mm -hmm. and the poorest is in the voting booth. Mm -hmm. We both, our vote is equal. My vote can cancel out your vote. My vote can. That is literally what inspired me to dedicate so much time to this, was realizing the power Mm -hmm. that each person has regardless of who they are and, and just how insane it is that someone can tweet and march and mm-hmm. do all those things and then not show not up show up in the voting vote. booth you know one day trump is gone and, and that is there's been so much 
damage in many ways. And and there's so much to recover from the rhetoric and the division and the lies and mm. this boogeyman. And, you know, we, we talk about obviously family separation and mm -hmm. these villainized communities. How do you think we heal? Like, how do we unite the country or get rid yeah. of this this lie and, and this propaganda that's yeah fake been out. news and I mean it is but all this nonsense about these minority communities I mean I always used to say like as an immigrant I felt like we were the most patriotic because yeah. we left a really shitty life to come here in America literally saved my life like I had an American flag on our napkins on our walls I mean yeah. it was we love America and that yeah. is the reality of a lot of these immigrant mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. They love America. They want to give back to America. They're so grateful. And yeah. and this propaganda that's out there yeah. is, I just, I, sometimes I'm like, even if he's gone, like how do we reverse this? Like yeah. how do we bring everyone back together? Yeah, I think it's going to take some inspirational people. Um, you know, the way Obama mm -hmm. just aggregated hope, like that was like a intangible thing, yeah. but yet he did it and mm -hmm. it was... I don't remember a time the country felt so good to be American mm -hmm. and be proud. I travel abroad a lot mm -hmm. and it's a scary time to be an American in certain countries. You know, you're like, I'm so sorry. So, you know, I, I, I you yeah. Know. And you're like, it, it's, it's going to take a, a lot to write the um, permission of hatred that has been released. Right. Like you have mm -hmm. permission to do all these horrible things and you yeah. know, hate crimes and, and, and there's no consequence. No consequence. And, you know, you see all these videos virally that of people just mistreating people in stores and in grocery mm -hmm, lines mm -hmm. and in like, why are you speaking Spanish? Why are you speaking another language? And you're like, oh, my gosh, where is that coming from? I think kindness is such a big word and we need to infuse it back into society. But I wish people would educate themselves. You know, it, it, the family separation thing was a, is a big a big heartbreaking thing. And I don't, I, if I could take every mother in America down to the border, mm. it would change her minds. You know, it would change their minds. It would, they would say, oh my God, as a mother, I can never imagine this. Not as a Republican, not as a Democrat, not in a blue state or a red state. Mm -hmm. As a woman and as a mother, you can't imagine the atrocities. And the other thing about the immigrant community is they are fleeing horrible, oh my God. horrible situations. You think it's fun to no. leave your home country and walk 4,000 miles or 2,000 miles? Like, you think they're they're here to have a good time? Like, this is life and death situations. It's not a red or blue issue. It's a life and death issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I go down to the border every month or every mm -hmm. other month with This Is About Humanity, meet these. Yeah. Our family came as refugees, but we, you know, we came through Highest, which is a Jewish organization. But, you know, when you come to New York... Like I was five. It is the scariest thing in the entire world. I mean, you yeah. have no idea who these people are. You don't speak the language. You don't know where you're going to live. You don't know anything. And I just remember like I held onto my mom's hand and that was what got me through it. I was just mm -hmm. like, I don't know what's happening. I don't mm -hmm. know where we are. Mm -hmm. There's no one here to protect us, but mommy's here. And they, I and I think that's why that issue is so hard. I mean, so hard for everyone. But when mm -hmm. you see like how hard what the journey of these people was. It was Ugh. far more difficult than ours. And the idea that someone would take the only security that yeah. these children have away from them, it's mm -hmm. how as a human being, no matter what your policy is, that you can justify that behavior yeah. systematically from our government mm -hmm. is barbaric. Intentional yes. cruelty. Yeah, It's insane. I mean, like you you don't know where your child is for three seconds at the grocery store yeah. and your entire your body panic. feels yep. like it's no. going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. and no. 
And we're like, and we did this. We orphaned these children. We've yeah. lost their parents. We don't know where they are. I'm like, yeah. what do you mean you don't know where they are? Yeah. We can track suitcases better than this. It's, yeah. it's insane. It's heartbreaking and unmanageable. And even, even for those reunified, the psychological damage that has been done to this child is irreversible sometimes. Mm-hmm. That, that fear of abandonment made a reality and then reunified a year later. And sometimes this two-year-old doesn't recognize their mom. Those videos like, are just mm-hmm. And just what do we do to this? Like, how do we make that better? We can't, you know, right? I I mean, we, mm-hmm. we have to keep screaming out loud. I mean, we have to be loud. We have to be the loudest voice. And, um, you know, trips to to the border and, and bringing media and just yeah. saying it as loud as we can, as often as we can, is the only way to do it right now until we change an administration that is more compassionate to humanity. I'm really in shock that it's it's still happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the the uproar and the protesting and the the outrage and I mean the the conversation was you know on at the forefront and now it just feels like mm. there's so many so much going on distractions yeah distractions that it's like and tragedies real tragedies i mean the yeah. iranian flight i mean i today like the thing that you're like oh my god like every day is another crisis and and it's hard to get your head out of the sand because sometimes you're like, this is just too depressing. But here's the crazy thing. And this is another reason why I went back and got my master's because I really wanted to understand is people don't understand the the instability in these Central American countries, Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador were caused by us, by the United States yes. in the 1950s. And so this instability that they're fleeing was our doing. Yes. Um, and so people don't understand historic immigration, historical... Um, dictators that were put in and taken out and and the the yeah. hand that we had in disrupting the stability of those countries um, is on us. And yes. so the fact that they're coming here for help shouldn't be met with rejection. It should be met with open arms and, and apology. We owe them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> I will say, I, I just spoke with Jay Shetty, who's a really good friend of mine, and he we were talking and he said, there's an amazing book called Factfulness, which I'm reading right now about how great the world is doing. Oh, yes. And I think we need that. <laughs> All right, I'm writing that down. Factfulness. factfulness. Yeah. Factfulness. And it's a, a book about facts, about the world has never been better and and the facts that back that up. Even though it's hard to believe, I think it's because of social media and the, the viralness of everything. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That bad news travels faster. Don't be discouraged. And this is what probably another myth that makes people feel like I'm never going to make a difference. The world issues are so overwhelming. So what is your advice to people who feel that way? I mean, my my whole thing is educate yourself on, on things, you mm-hmm. know, and it doesn't have to be everything. You don't have to be like, I need to be climate change and immigration specialist and a, and a <laughs> policy specialist and like, right. well, pick pick something, pick one thing and be an expert at it, really get literate about it. And, and you don't have to look far to make a difference. Sometimes you think, you know, world hunger, how am I going to make a dent in that? And then you can see a neighbor in need. You know, like you're like, oh, okay, I can help him. Yes. I can help her. You know, 14,000 questions that we're never going to get to because you've done so much. It's insane. Now I know. It's like, what? I haven't. I just don't even. What are the issues that concern the Latino community the most going into the election of 2020, do you think? The same as everybody's economy, jobs. People think it's immigration. But it's not. It's the economy. How do I have economic mobility in mm-hmm. this country? 
Mm-hmm. How do I get a leg up? How can I have two full-time jobs and not afford an apartment? Yeah. Or healthcare? How am I one health scare away from debt um, or homelessness? Or, you know, everybody wants security, economic security. How is it being a mom? Amazing. Yeah. You know, all the cliches of like, your life's going to change. I'm like, of course my life's going to change. I'm going to have a kid, but like, it really it does change your life. Changes. You know what it is? You're you're given a new compass. Mm-hmm. And north is yeah, that's a great way to I talk about it. It's like it seems yeah. like like the earth, like the axis changed. Mm-hmm. The whole thing just sort of shifted. Yeah, your center of the universe is not you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank God. <laughs> right? I go crazy. Um, but no, you get you're given a new north. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it just everything kind of falls into place. But I will say my activism has become more intense since he's been born. And I didn't anticipate that. Like I, I, your sense of purpose. Oh my gosh. I just have this panic and anxiety now to leave the world Mm -hmm. a better place. Like I'm like, oh my God, I got to do something before my son gets old enough to inherit this, inherit this world. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, before we wrap up for our listeners, what would you say to them? What should they do when someone tells them no? Oh gosh, don't take no an answer that's my my whole thing is you know don't accept that answer um and you got to find another way all right that door closed so i'm going to go open this other door and i'm going to go check this out and it's so funny because every failure in my life i i i don't know where my optimism i was just born with it but i just go oh my god there must be something better around the corner i remember when i i auditioned for hitch that movie hitch Mm -hmm. with will smith yes and and Mm -hmm. ava mendez and and I being devastated, I didn't get devastated. I didn't get it. And I go, oh, man, I really liked that one. And having the audition of Desperate Housewives a week later, and had I got the movie, you couldn't have done I that. wouldn't have done Desperate Housewives. That changed my life. And I believe that. I believe everything is decided in a way. Um, of course, you can't just sit back and wait for it. But mm-hmm. I, I thought, oh, my God, that must mean something better is waiting. Like, I really thought that. And it, it was. That's incredible. Yeah. It's like half glass full point of view, but mm-hmm. I really approach everything. Every breakup, every, everybody's like, oh, you, you know, before my husband, they're like, oh, I've, you've been unlucky in love. I was like, I've been so lucky in love. I dated him. I dated him. I dated him. I, like, <laughs> I think that's lucky. I've been so lucky. You know, I always thought of it as a good thing, not as a, a bad thing. Oh my that's God. Amazing. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we didn't really get to talk about Reversing Row, which I oh, came that was to your amazing. screening Just watch it. of, yeah. and that was it's on Netflix. Incredible, and the fact yeah. that you co-founded Times Up, which mm-hmm. is casual—that's well, all of us. Everybody across all industries has really had a hand in changing culture. You know, somebody said today, "What is what has Times Up really done?" I mean, what have you guys done? I was like, "Oh my god, I legislation." Can't, I, Uh, uh, A lot of things, but the most important thing is a global conversation. Mm -hmm. 100%. You know what I mean? Like there's people in France standing up for themselves and there's people in Mexico standing. Like you're like, oh, wow, this is not an insular incident. This is... It changed everything Everything. for women. It really did. Everything. Mm -hmm. The world, like before that January Mm -hmm. and after, Uh was completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. I don't want this. I'm I so don't sad. Want to so many, I'm like, I, just, I, mean, you, I know you have to go, and I have to go. Very but, sad, um, but thank um, you so much. Thank you, thank so you for much. sitting and talking with me. You guys are so inspiring. What you, I love what you do with I Am Voter, and you know, I just think that this this is important. I think sometimes you feel like 
you know, what are we going to do with this yeah. small conversation? But it's ripple effects that you guys are doing. That's what we hope for. Mm-hmm. So congrats. Thank you. Good for you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And please join us next week as we speak with the incredible Skylar Baylor, the trans trailblazer. We are Deborah Messing and Mandana Dayani, and you have been listening to The Dissenters. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. You can go to thedissenters.com to see the full list of our 20 dissenters. We love seeing the support on social, so please tag us at the dissenters, at the real Deborah Messing, at Mandana Dayani. And please continue sending us suggestions for badass dissenters we should feature. Please tune in next Thursday to meet our next brilliant dissenter. This show is produced by me, Deborah Messing, Mandana Dayani, Erica First, and Dear Media. Our music was written by Brady Cohen and images were shot by Justin Campbell.